This is the gathering of his boys. The last supper, the last instructions. And these instructions are off the chart epic. Because he is now laying it out just a day before he goes to the cross, hangs before them all. And something that will be an absolute astounding mystery to all of them, at least at the moment, only to have clarity burst onto the scene, into their lives, into their hearts, and from them to the rest of the world. But the prep for all of this is going on right now in this intimate setting. So as we started in John 13 with Jesus humbling himself, washing the disciples' feet, uh, then, then he comes into this section here, 14, 15, and 16, of teaching, teaching, teaching them as he prepares for this last and, and astounding day of his life. And, and then just before that, in John 17, we'll have him actually before the Lord in prayer for them, for us, for him. And so as we get now deep into the content of John 14, let's go to God in prayer and uh, be ready to just enjoy Jesus as he lays all of this out for us. God, thank you. Who are we? We're a blessed people, God, that we could have this captured for us, that we get to be flies on the wall, probably in the room where it happens at the most important time ever. Thank you that we are invited into this by you, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you want us so dearly to know these very things with great clarity and great intimacy. I pray, God, that with this honor and with this privilege, it falls not to the ground in any of our lives, but really does gain amazing traction as we let the world know of all of your greatness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so the title of the sermon today is Two Advocates, because Jesus is going to be talking right off the bat in John 14, 15, about this idea that, all right, Something is going to happen, guys. All of this is confusing to you right now. I get it. You're thinking Messiah. You're thinking someone that's going to come with an apocalyptic reveal that shuts the mouths of enemies and changes the landscape of all of the land. But the way that this is going to go down through a suffering servant is going to be confusing. But nonetheless, I am going to keep it clear for you. And the clarity is going to come through another advocate. Another advocate implies that there is a first advocate. And that first advocate is Jesus. Now, and, and that's given to us right off the bat. In, in verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commands. I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you, and he will be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Uh, he'll, he'll mention this advocate again in verse 26, again in 1526, again in 168, all during the same intimate gathering that he has here. Uh, but, but for us, the, the word that he uses for advocate in the original language is paraclete, paracletus. And mild, it means nothing to us, of course, but, but different translations have tried to wrestle with this word in different ways. Uh, so for example, the, the King James has called this advocating work of the Holy Spirit by the name comforter. And there's a, a real aspect to that too, that the Holy Spirit 
is given to comfort you. But it seems to me to lack a little bit of edge. I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, like a, a, a fluffy down comforter uh, that is, you know, yeah, nice, not thrilling, but nice. I, I think that's a little bit of an anemic description for what the Holy Spirit, the, the paracletus, really does. Uh, some some other, uh, other uh, ideas, you know, the, the Christian Standard Bible, I think also the... Uh, the the um, uh, a few others, but but also call him a counselor. That's not a bad idea. It, it, counselor, not in the terms of tell me about your relationship with your mother, counselor, but but rather a counselor who stands before you in a court of law. That that type of a, a, a counselor, and that that is the thrust of it in that in that translation. Uh, we've got advocate, of course, in the NET in the uh, New Living Translation. We've got it in the New NIV. But um, the, the, the idea of a helper also comes through in a few different translations, including the New King James. Uh, well, you know what the NIRV uh, calls this Paracletus idea? It's just simply a friend. And if you've got a good friend, well, I think that captures it actually pretty well. So let me, let me share with you a story of when, when I had this kind of advocate uh, at, at my disposal. And this is a very dark moment in my life. Deb had to leave because there's a sister in our church whose um, mom is in, in critical condition. And I'm sorry for that. But it does allow me, with her not here, to tell one of those stories that she would be like going to. So, I'm getting a text message. Um, my second arrest occurred in London, England on New Year's Eve of 1984. The circumstances which brought that about included a New Year's Eve preparation time, sinful young men that we were, all fraternity brothers. My fraternity brothers were over there having a year abroad, and, and I went over to visit them during Christmas break. While there, in, in London, Trafalgar Square is the big kind of confluence of all celebration, just like Times Square is in the U.S. This is an imperfect analogy by the way, of just showing even in, in our worst wreckage moments what it's like to have an advocate. And so, again, in 1984, I think I was one years old, and, and, and as, as, we're, as we're making our way through the streets, I have consumed a stupid amount of alcohol and beside myself. Now, as we're, we're, we're going, it, it begins with me first running into a London police officer, a Bobby, trying my best to first convince him with American charm, good old ugly American charm, to let me wear his hat. Uh, that doesn't go so well, and then I think, well, maybe if I just kind of grab it real quick, that might help. But thankfully, I had an advocate that night. My friend Steve Hirsch, Tom Armani and Steve Hirsch are with me that night. Steve Hirsch sees the glint in my eye, and he's seen it many, many times before. And he's gone down in trouble with me before. And he, and he also realizes I've gone down in trouble many times when that starts to appear. And as he sees it and he sees my hands start to go up, he's able to put up the block, bring it back down and be like, you're not going to ruin this night for yourself or for us right now. It would be great if that were the end of the story. So, yes, I'm, I'm not the idiot that's trying to grab the police officer's hat and put it on and, hey, look at me. I don't know what I was going to achieve once I did that either, by the way. 
So anyway, then we get, get, get out of the, uh, the, the tubes there in London and, and make our way up. And now we're walking towards Trafalgar Square and it is festive everywhere, right? There's, there's bands and celebrate, celebrations going on and there are these fountains everywhere. But immediately they see, and I'm wearing a long like uh, trench coat type thing. And immediately they, they see the back of the coat just fly up because I'm running towards something. And they got distracted, you know, we're all getting off of the tubes. And I, and I start running towards, towards something once we get up on, on uh, uh, level ground. And, and in the distance, they see a man that has a whole bunch of balloons in his hands. And then all of a sudden, as I disappear into the crowd, all those balloons go up in the air. And, and so they think, oh my, what, what is he doing? And they run and, and, they're, and they're able to kind of, you know, advocate for me with the balloon guy and, you know, keep, keep that from getting as nasty, ugly as it was about to get. But every time that they would then kind of grab this, this person that I've, I've, you know, kind of treated ill, I would then kind of run off to the, to the next mischief moment. And, and then off I would go. And then this was terrible. But I would run up as, as couples were at the fountain, you know, watching the, the events around the fountains. And, and everybody's kind of standing like this, arm in arm. And, and I would run up and headbutt the guy and then grab the girl and shout, Merry New Year! And give her a big kiss. Because, you know, you kiss on New Year, right? Again, none of this is any example of the behavior that I am advocating for any of you. I'm just showing, even in your wreckage, what, what it's like to have an advocate. <laughs> I just want to make sure Debbie wasn't here. <laughs> it's good to have Caleb here. Uh, anyway, so they then have to kind of make things better with the guy who is now getting ready to just pummel me. And again, if anybody decided to take a swing at me, they would have had their way. Uh, I, I would have gone down in a, in a heartbeat, but there's Steve, my advocate, you know, kind of friend in need, friend in need, you know, kind of helping me dur during this, this very moment. And then... Finally, this has happened now on repeat. I mean, this is lather, rinse, repeat. At some point then, Steve is done with trying to clean up my act. He finally sees me, grabs me when he finally catches up to me before I can get to the next person, takes me, throws me to the ground, and is just shaking sense into me, saying, you're ruining this, I told you. Back with the, the cop's hat, I told you. And what did you do? You're still doing it. And he's just like, I mean, going at it and slapping and hitting. But blows from a friend can be trusted, right? And, 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 he is, and, he's, and he's going for it. I mean, just, just trying it. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. But as he's doing that, the, another police officer comes over, sees him, and thinks he's assaulting me. <laughs> And arrests him, puts him in jail for the night, all the way into the next day. That should have been my arrest. And I just think, I can just walk away from this right now. Which, which I did, and unfortunately forgot that Steve had been arrested. And the next day, when everybody said, where's Steve? I was like, I, I don't know. I have a vague memory of him trying to like help me through the night. But I don't know where he is at this moment. And, but oh my, what, what that guy did for me all night long. Now, when he came back home the next day and I was still sleeping in the middle of his living room, he maybe repeated what he did the night before. Again, blows from a friend, which, which can be trusted. And you know, sometimes you need a friend to help you with the, the, the damage that you've done in other places. And sometimes you need a friend that can just, you know what? help you out personally as well.
that they can tell you the things that you need to hear, but also tell other people things about you that they need to hear as well so that they've got your back and so that your life can go better. This is the very essence of this word, paraclete, advocate, comforter, helper, friend, uh, counselor, that is all wrapped up here in, in um, in this passage that we're going to look at. Had I mentioned that this is an imperfect analogy? Okay, good. So we're clear on this. Let's, let's move on. And my, my, my first point is the first advocate. Uh, again, the idea that Jesus says here, I'm going to send you another advocate, implies that there's not just one advocate. In fact, there are two advocates. And the first advocate is Jesus. And the second advocate is this Holy Spirit to whom he has just referenced. But you will never appreciate why the second advocate if you don't fully appreciate the depth of the first advocate. In other words, you won't be so absolutely aligned with what the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is wanting to do in your life and my life unless we have absolute certainty and confidence in what Jesus, the first advocate, has done for us. So on from here. Verse uh, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, as a side note, when he says, I will come to you, what's he talking about here? Is he talking about the second coming? Is he talking about having risen from the grave and he will come to you? Or is he talking about in the giving of the Holy Spirit, where he says, I will be with you always. Is he talking about that? If he's talking about that, then there's a real interplay that just confounds the mind in the concept of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It's an interplay, it's beautiful, it's community, it's love unto itself. And the God, Father, Son, and Spirit invites us We of all people invites us in to that community of love. And and so Jesus says, I will come to you, he says. And on that day, verse 26, you will realize that I'm in the father and you're in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Having said that now, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, uh, they're clear to say that there. Uh, here's, okay, you're going to show yourself. You're going to show yourself. What, is, what does that mean? And he's very confused. And he says in verse 22, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And, and what is happening here with Judas is not some idea of, hey, I need to have a better evidence for the world because I'm going to go out and bring the world to belief in you. He doesn't get any of that yet. The reason that he's asking this question is not so that I have a better case to, to prove to the world. The reason he's saying that is there's such a disconnect between what the world will not be able to perceive and what the disciples will enjoy. And for him, a messianic idea is that if Jesus is the messianic king, then he must, he must absolutely startle the world with 
apocalyptic self-disclosure. That would have been Judas's understanding from reading Daniel 7, Zechariah 9, Isaiah 11, um, per perhaps also Habakkuk 3. Any of those, those are all good passages, by the way. And if you're taking notes, and I see someone, one, one of you is, um, that, that, that those are good passages, even to get an appreciation of their mindset of what they expected from the Messiah. Habakkuk 3, Zechariah 9, Isaiah 11, Daniel 7. Uh, all of those, much of the, the, those whole chapters uh, speak to that. But, but of course, it is going to be the Isaiah 53 chapter that absolutely applies to the Messiah that no one ever thought of as part of the Messiah. So that's the confusion. And, and Judas here is thinking that, okay, if you're the Messianic king, it's going to be grand reveal, everything changed. And, and, and in one brief sweep, the kingdom arrives in undeniable and irresistible splendor. The lion and the lamb, everything is new, everything is made new, all in that moment. They couldn't imagine that this first begins with a suffering sacrifice in the grand reveal of the great Messiah. And, and so that's, that's his confusion right here, and that's why he asks it in this way. Because he thinks that it's going to be, the you know, pull back the curtain and everybody gets it. No, 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 no. Jesus is going to reveal himself in a very special way. And, and it's why Jesus's plan has always been one of close quarter discipleship. And it's why we extend that plan. That unless we are in absolute linked discipleship with Jesus, with one another, and extending that out to the world then we're trying to go off in a different direction like Judas would want to have here. Or like Jesus' brothers say to him, why, why not make the big show at the feast, Jesus? Back in John 7, if you remember us reading that. Again, Jesus' way is not through the big grand reveal, but through one after another, after another, after another. Making a difference absolutely fully in your life. Not casually, not shallow, deep, absolute rebirth of every single person who then is engaged to help the next and the next and the next. Judas is getting this now reinforced to him with the rest of this passage. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our homes with them. And I get more intimate than that. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You've heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And so as we round out this idea of the first advocate, um, I think it's important to, to understand that Jesus is the first advocate. 
He is your first advocate. And that every one of you, if you have been reborn of water and spirit, as Jesus says, if you are part of this, if he and you, you and him, all that, that, that he has described that brings you in to this special relationship of faith and obedience and love and trust. If that is the case for you, you sit here with two advocates, both of them irreplaceable, both of them absolutely essential. And the first advocate, Jesus, is the advocate that John writes about as well when he says, and, and I'm, I'm just going to read, you can write this down, First John 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, Amen. the righteous one. That's the first advocate. John wrote this probably contemporaneous with the gospel. If any of you have sinned, and I don't want you to, John says, but if you do, you're all right. You know why? Because you have right now, as you sit here right now, you have an advocate standing before the father on your behalf. And that advocate is no chump. That advocate is the righteous one. That is Jesus Christ. He is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but he can even be that for the sins of the world. All right. So this is a really important thing to have on absolutely clear for us. If we're going to be able to do the work that Jesus wants us to do, to have the confidence, to have the security, to know why it is that we have the, the um, certainty that we have. Because as you sit here right now, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, if your life has radically been reshaped and repented and brought back to the Father through Christ, then he has made atonement for you. And, and as, he, as he considers you, even, even right now, and as he, as, he, as he thinks of Ryan King, even right now, he's before the Father, and, and he's like, yes, yes, Father, Yes, you, you knitted Ryan together in the womb. He is fearfully and wonderfully made. He is your creation. Every breath that he takes is of your doing. Yes, the very fact that he gets to enjoy life and all that goes around is all from you. And yes, he doesn't love his neighbor as himself. And yes, he engages in sinful indulgence. And yes, he has failed you miserably on so many times. And yes, he has a long history of going his own way despite full knowledge of all that, that you've done for him. And, and yes, that is a, a, a horrendous, heinous record that would demand swift and immediate justice. Now, you need an advocate who is not only skilled more importantly, you don't just need an advocate who can kind of, I don't know, wordsmith his way into your good standing. You need something more important in this advocate. You know what you need? You need an advocate who has an airtight case on your behalf. An airtight case. And guess what? No matter how bad your track record is, you have an advocate with an airtight case. Because he also gets to say to the father about Ryan and about you. And yes, that is the case. But to demand consequence from him now. I'm not begging you not to do it. I am demanding you not to do it. 
As a matter of fact, I insist in the name of justice that you do not do it. Why? Because an atoning sacrifice has already been made for every one of those sins. And you cannot exact payment twice for the same crime. Dublin, that, that is not just. And, and again, I'm not begging you. I'm not trying to persuade you. I am just trying to make the case clear that Ryan stands clear himself because all has absolutely been paid in full. And there is nothing that has a hold on him on the scales of justice. Man, that's the kind of advocate you want to have. As a matter of fact, it says that, that, that Jesus is before the Father day and night, making intercession for every one of us. And he's not making intercession with a more clever appeal or, oh, oh please, just one more time. Right? If, if, if it were that, I think I would be feeling like I was on shaky ground. Will his words be persuasive enough right now? Will there be mercy enough from the Father? I don't have to rest on maybe there'll be mercy one more time. I just have to rest on the idea of, hey, I'm just glad that there's justice. Because that justice has been satisfied. Not by me. By my advocate. Holy smokes. My advocate is doing double duty. Jesus not only advocates for me, but he's the one who made the payment for me as well. And for you as well. And so if, if there's any moments where you're kind of walking about in any way unstable, no need for that. Your advocate has got you covered. But it's very easy, despite the clarity of that, to still kind of get a tape playing in your head of something much uglier than that. When you think about who you are and your standing and all of that. And so what do we need? We need a second advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. And that, that advocate, the Holy Spirit is now the first advocate is your advocate before the father, right? He's, he's working on your behalf before the father. That's the first advocate. The second advocate is working on your behalf to you because that's the peace that Jesus wants you to have right after mentioning that I'm going to send you the second advocate, the Holy spirit. He then says, and I will leave you with peace. My peace. I give, I did all of this. Not so that you could be unsteady. Not so that you can have self doubt. I did all of this so that peace attends to your very soul. And by peace, it doesn't mean the absence of turmoil. Peace also means the presence of wonder and satisfaction and joy and real hope at every turn. Amen. Jesus has done all of that so that you can be here. And just in case you're not buying it, he sends you the second advocate. And what does it say here that the second advocate will do? The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you and will remind you of everything. Because apparently it's not just enough to have standing with the first advocate. It's real easy to forget that standing. Real easy to get caught up in our own thought loop that, that can take us into terrible places. And again, please don't get, get this wrong. If, if, if you're here and you're seeking and you're trying to figure things out, if, if you haven't surrendered all the way and gone in and, and, and allowed your life not to be about yourself, but about the first advocate, if you're not quite there yet, 
this is not yet where you are, but it's where you can be like that. Like that. It's, it's what God wants for you. He wants you to have that peace. He wants you to have that, that clarity and certainty and security and standing, all of that confidence that, that comes from that. That's what he dearly wants for you. Now, again, if you are, then, then please know the Holy Spirit has done double duty in the scriptures, in arranging your life, and even in, in speaking into your very life to give you peace, reminding you, reminding you through his words again and again of, of, of what, what it is that, that he does for you. And um, one, one passage that I like a lot is in Romans 8, where it says, the spirit bears witness with your spirit that, what? That you are his child. The spirit bears witness. That word for witness there is not just a, a, a casual idea. It's like the star witness. It is everything changes now that this person has testified. And to, to think of the Holy Spirit as an it also leaves you, I think, in a, in a weird spot. And in a weird spot that becomes a little bit of uh, humanism. Why? Because if the Holy Spirit is a force or an it or some sort of thing, when you think, oh, be filled with the Spirit. Well, I think, okay, filled, filled makes me think of, I don't know, liquid natural gas. Uh, you know, I need to be topped off by the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe, you know, and, but then why, if you start to think of the Holy Spirit in that way, you start to then think about techniques and tricks and mind games. You can play with yourself and think, yes, I'm really filled with the Spirit. Again, more important to realize he is your witness. He is your advocate. He is your friend. He has come into your life as that friend. And when it's a friend, it's a relationship that grows deeper and, and grows deeper into a dance of love and obedience, love and obedience. He, he's there reminding you that you are loved. He, they're reminding you that you are God's child. You are his precious possession. You're not an outsider. You have all of the standing and the inheritance and the hope that would cause others to, to be, be mind boggled. That, that you are rich beyond belief. That the first advocate, though rich, completely impoverished himself so that you could be made rich. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, even this, as I took communion a moment ago, and I thought, as I take it, I remember thinking to myself, I remember because it was only 20 minutes ago. Uh, I, I thought to myself, I have so much. I have so much that I can take this right now. Who am I? When you realize you have so much, the little things that might enter into your life in a fallen world don't tend to knock you off balance anymore. Think of it this, this way. I, I remember we did a, a thought experiment one time with Bill Gates and how much he was making near the end of his run at Microsoft and you know the, the, the millions of dollars per minute of, of work that, that he was earning. And, and I remember thinking, well, what if, um, what, what if Bill Gates you know, kind of was at the, the, the cash register and as he was there, he, he thought he was, he was giving um, $11 for his 1049 uh, super duper latte. Uh, but, but instead of giving $11, he accidentally gave not a 10 and a one, but a 10 and a 10. And as he's walking away and he, and he sees his bills and he realized, oh wait, I had, a, I had another 10 here. Is he going to get upset about that? 
Is he going to get upset that, that he gave a 10 instead of a 1 in that case? That affected him in some way? That dimensional analysis, so to speak, of his billions, his billions, it would cost him more in time spent trying to say, hey, than it would be worth. Why? Because he has riches that are so surpassing the situation. And how about when you're slighted, when you're disappointed, when you don't get the callback for the job, when you are disappointed by the way that things go in school? What about when that friend that you're, you're trying to get closer with, even an important one, even gives you a slight? What about even in your marriage, when there's a bump going on, even right now? My goodness, if, if all of those things are of where your value lies, then they're devastating because those are the things that give you your value. But if your value is from the fact that you already have riches beyond compare because of what the first advocate has done for you, well, then all of those things can be dealt with without the emotion that takes you out for, for long periods of time. That's what the second advocate is doing. That's what the Holy Spirit wants for your life. He wants peace. He wants to give you a peace. That peace is not going to come by ignoring situations. That peace is going to come by really contemplating who you are before God. Constantly being reminded by the Spirit. Constantly being reminded by His teachings. He's given this to you. Be in this. This is for you to have that peace. This is for you to have the work of the second advocate sweep over you. Energize you. Clarify you. And really launch you into the life that you're meant to have. You're not meant to have some sort of a mundane life of quiet desperation. You're not meant to just try to muck around like the rest of the world and try to gain some sort of significance or esteem out of the, the, the way that you, I don't know, made it to level four or, or the way that you dressed just right so somebody gave you a like. If it's going to come from that, your life is going to fall apart on those things. Those rise and fall capriciously. You've got something that eclipses all of that and, and transcends all of that. And not just that, but it's you. It's what Jesus wants to get across to you as your advocate. That's you. And if you're not getting it, the Holy Spirit is here reminding you repeatedly. My goodness, who you are. Do you not get that, that this is the, the, the real identity of what he has done for you? And, and by the way, he's saying all this because in just a moment, he's going to be telling them all, get in the game. You got to get in the game. And if you get in that game with fear or you get in that game with doubt, it's not going to go well for you. He wants to rip away the fear, rip away the doubt, and let nothing but peace really identify the way you wake up, the way you go through your day, the way you end it, the way you get after it, the way you interact with everyone. That you have a confidence of peace and hope that is reinforced every single time by this relationship with the other advocate. Every time you obey, it strengthens your love. Every time you appreciate the love, the more it stokes your desire to obey. It's a beautiful self-reinforcing cycle again and again. Every time you understand his will and you're like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. I know what aligns me all the more with my advocate. This is what he wants for my life. Why he's done everything for me. What it is that he actually deems me significant enough to, to engage in. Wow, look at all of this that's here. Every time you read this, you obey it, you hear it, you incorporate it. It only stokes your love. That love stokes more obedience and so on and so on and so on. Why not live that life? 
Why not decide that you enter into that cycle and break whatever ugly cycle is going on right now? Enter into that cycle. It is a cycle of discipleship with Jesus. It is that close intimacy. It's not going to come about because there's a big show, a big reveal. It only happens in these special, ongoing, back and forth, understanding God, living it out, appreciating him, understanding who you are, being all of that, living out who you are. All of that reinforces, reinforces. And and Jesus says that the way that this is put into place is is as we go about in discipleship relationships. It's not going to happen in an auditorium looking at the big show. It's going to happen when Jesus builds and these guys go about and build the way that he's told to build. Let me encourage you in your discipling relationships. Get back into this. Get back into this. Be, be aligned with the work of both advocates. Celebrate the advocate. Speak as another friend to one another. Speak the, the affirmation of that advocate into, into one another's lives. Recognize what the Holy Spirit infusing every one of us as our friend along with us. You can do it. Get getting out there, reminding everybody of those very things. Let's see our lives be one of continual reinforcement and continual maturity on an amazing path. Amen. And I may have a couple announcements uh, before we have our final song. We have our final song. Um, one is if uh, the the. Um, Thank you for that half a plus. We are in the planning stage of forming a Norfolk Men's Breakfast. Uh, some of the brothers are. Uh, George and Mark are. And if you're interested in having a, a men's Bible breakfast, I'm assuming it's a Bible breakfast, or maybe just breakfast. Um, but anyway, a, a men's Bible breakfast. Uh, see, see Mark and George. They, they'd like to get some traction on that and, and get that going. Also, there is a brief leaders meeting because I have to go to the leaders meeting on the peninsula. Uh, so there is a brief leaders meeting in the fellowship hall uh, right after the last song. Uh, we're here Tuesday night. Big special night. All the other Southside regions, I think, are going to join us this Tuesday night. We'll pack it in. But it's our chance to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, all together and, and to share and be ready to share. We won't be able to go up on the stage this time because it'd be way too many people, but be ready just to pop up and just say something for which you are quite thankful uh, that God has done in your life this year. Amen. We'll stand for our final song.